Hey, uh, so my name is Brandon. I'm the youth pastor here. And uh, so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 8 this morning, uh, specifically verses 1 through 5. So if you guys would stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Hannah, come on up. Good morning, church family. All right, Revelation chapter 8, 1 through 5 says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. The seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Church, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Hannah. Right, let's just take a moment of prayer before we dive into God's word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the opportunity, God, that you revealed yourself to us, you revealed your word to us, and as we just remembered by taking the bread and cup, Lord, the sacrifice of your son for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me this morning, God, that our hearts would be humble before you this morning, God, that we would tremble at your word and have an eagerness to do the works that you have called us to do, Lord. And God, that this would be all about you, Lord, that we would just desire to worship you more. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, so as we dive into Revelation 8, I first wanted to ask a question before we do so. So has there ever been a time in your life, probably for many of us, where we have put a lot of time or effort or even money into something and, and, and we wanted to get really good at it, but, you know, the, the more time went along, you thought, I'm like, I, you know, you're never going to uh, conquer this. It just feels like a waste of time. Maybe it was something like baking something simple like brownies or cookies, and you do several batches. You try it many times. Maybe it's a pasta that you're trying, and it just turns out gross, and you feel like you're wasting groceries and, again, wasting time. But then finally, you perfect it, and it tastes good, and other people actually want to eat it, right? And you're like, oh, this was rewarding to know that all this was not in vain. And when it comes to prayer, if you are like me, at times I have wondered, you know, God, are you really listening? I've felt doubt at times. Like I've even thought, do my prayers even matter? Whether I pray or I don't pray, will the circumstance turn out the exact same? Like, does it matter? Is it a waste of time? And we're going to find out the answers to those here in our passage today. So as we look at Revelation uh, chapter 8, specifically verses 2 through 4 is where we're going to hone in first. And there's a lot going on here, okay? Just like the book of Revelation, if you've been here so far, if you've read it at least a time or two, uh, you know it's not just like any other book of the Bible. And this is actually a fairly tame passage compared to other parts of, of Revelation. But we see, beginning in Revelation uh, 8-2, 
There's seven angels standing before God. John sees these seven angels standing before the Lord. Each one of them is given a trumpet. Then in verse 3, there's another angel that comes along, and he is standing at the altar with with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer along with the prayers of all the saints. And it's on the golden altar before the throne. And then in verse 4, we see that the smoke uh, from this incense, along with the prayers of the saints, is rising before God from the hand of the angel. You're like, all right, you know, sounds good to me. Next passage, right? We understand everything perfectly from this, right? No, this is, this is a, a passage that, takes, uh, that, that we need to unpack. And so um, as I was studying this, sometimes I am a visual learner. And I was like, man, there's so many different things going on within just these three verses alone. And so I got out my laptop and I, I started to draw on the screen what I thought John was seeing. So I wanted to share that with you guys today if we have that. So there's my drawing, okay? You can tell I'm super artistic and very gifted in that area. Uh, those are, so we have the angels. You're probably gonna tell what some of these things are, but that's the angels on the right-hand side. They have triangular bodies. Um, the trumpets don't look like trumpets, but then um, you have God on the throne on the other side. There's the altar, and then the other angel with the fire offering the incense. And then down below, we'll get to verse five later, but that's the world. That's the Americas. You can see Florida. I was kind of proud of that. Um, <laughs> And I did not, for whatever reason, did not finish the East Coast. But, um, so we'll get to that later. But, but I, I'm looking at what, I'm trying to look at what John is telling us that he is seeing this vision. And there's a lot going on. And, and so Grant R. Osborne, I came across a quote of his that I thought was helpful that I wanted to share with you. So this is what he says about the passage. He says, the censor was an open-topped pan that was made of bronze in the tabernacle or gold in the temple. It would have coals put in it from the altar of burnt offering and then incense to offer prayers before the Lord. The incense combined three aromatic spices. These were ground to powder and placed in front of the altar of incense, symbolizing the prayers of God's people ascending to God. The incense would be placed on the coals in the censer and give forth smoke, that ascended to God on his throne together with the prayers of God's people. This language, the stuff that John was seeing, he would have been more familiar with it, more familiar with the Old Testament temple and the sacrifices and the offerings and the incense. That's just not common within our culture today. We're, very, we're far more removed from the Old Testament setting and the Old Covenant setting than John would have been. And so this is what Osborne, he, he's laying out. He, you know, he, he's explaining essentially that, that, that the smoke from the incense, it, it would be symbolizing the prayers of God's people ascending to God. This was commonly held, uh, or this was understood under Old Testament times. So in Psalm 141, verses one through two, the author, he says, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we see here in the scripture that, this, that the prayers of the saints are rising right before God. And in regards to these prayers, to get a little bit more insight about these prayers, I wanted to go back to Revelation uh, 6 through 9. 
Okay, Darren preached on this a month or so ago, and specifically in Revelation verses six through, I'm sorry, Revelation six verses nine through 11, this is the opening of the fifth seal. And this is what it says. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So you see in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, it's under the same altar that we see in Revelation 8, martyrs for the faith, people who had been slain for Jesus. And they're crying out loudly to God for vengeance against those that are still on the earth who had killed them, crying out, how long, O Lord, until you do something? How long, O Lord, until justice takes place on those who have killed us? And they are given a white robe. They're told to rest a little longer until the number of martyrs were completed. So essentially the answer, hey, it's coming. Vengeance for you is coming. God's wrath is coming, but not yet. So why, how is this relevant to Revelation 8? Well, we see in Revelation 6, under the altar, the souls of those who had been killed, crying out to God, and then here in Revelation at the beginning of chapter 8, the same altar with incense and prayers of saints rising before God. We see the martyrs' prayers in Revelation 6 being answered, being seen by God, and God acting on them. But it's not just the prayers of the martyrs. It's also, the text says, but it's the prayers of all the saints that are rising before God. This ought to encourage us. Like when we read a passage like this of Revelation 8 and seeing that this incense, the smoke of the incense, the, you know, the prayers of the saints rising before God, like, oh, thank goodness God sees my prayers it's not a waste of time. It's not, you know, even though you struggle with the doubt, even though you wonder, God, are you really there? It's like, no, the prayers of the saints are rising before the Father. It's not a waste. Just like I was talking about, you know, trying to bake or cook or whatever. You're like, I'm never going to do this right. You know, it's never, like, there's, there's no point in doing this. But a far more value, it's not based on our own works to begin with, but, but far more value even though we wonder, like, Lord, does this even matter? Does this have any meaning of our prayers? We see in Revelation 8 our prayers rising before him. So I want to look at a couple different passages of Scripture on the topic of prayer because if you're like myself, I've struggled in my prayer life pretty much, you know, throughout my time of being a follower of Christ. So the first passage I want to turn to is back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 18. So in Genesis chapter 18, we're going to read a verse, but I wanted to give a little bit of context to what is going on here. So God, in this chapter, he visits Abraham in his old age. And at this point, God had already promised to Abraham, hey, you're going to have offspring, uh, you're going to have offspring as numerous as the stars. 
And uh, when God visits him, uh, Abraham had still had no son. And so God is visiting him and, he, and he's telling him, he says, hey, about this time next year, I'm going to come and visit you again. And when I do, Sarah will have a son. So this conversation is taking place between God and Abraham themselves. Sarah is kind of eavesdropping, just like we have all done on some conversation at, point, you know, at a point in our life. And so Sarah hears God say this, you know, in a year from now, Sarah will have a son. Sarah, she laughs, okay? And God hears her and says, why did Sarah laugh? And before he gives an opportunity for him, for Abraham or Sarah to answer, he goes on and in verse uh, Genesis 18, verse 14, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So Sarah laughs at the idea of her getting pregnant because she's never been pregnant before. She's never given birth to a child. And God says, a year from now, I'm going to come back, and Sarah will have a son. It's helpful to know at this point that Sarah was 90 years old. Okay, so you can understand, not that it was right for her to laugh at God, obviously, like you don't want to be doing that, but 90 years old is how old this lady was. And Abraham was, a, was 100 or about 100. And so when, when Sarah laughs at God telling her this, God wasn't like, oh, I'm sorry, I was confused. I mistaken you for another Sarah. I was talking about somebody else. You know, God wasn't like, oh, I didn't realize you were that old. I thought you were maybe like 50 or 60 or 70, something more manageable for me. God, God's like, really? Like, he, he asked a question, and I love it because it's, it's a question, but it's also, he's making a statement. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard no, there you go. Yeah, thank you. Nothing. But, but if you can imagine like a 90-year-old woman, woman getting pregnant, it's like, okay, hey, this is my great-grandma. She's seven months along. It's like, that would be weird. That's strange. That doesn't happen. And so if you can understand, it's like, yeah, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they're like, okay, I, I know you made this promise, God, but are you kidding me? I'm 90. I'm ready to die. She didn't say that, but I can only imagine, right? Because when we approach the Lord in prayer, do we do so with the mindset that nothing is too hard for him? Do, do we approach him? I mean, we got a lot of data knowing he does the impossible. Nothing is too hard for him. But do we approach him in our own prayer life and look at him and say, there's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too impossible for him. I think, just speaking for myself, oftentimes I don't because I know my own limitations. I know my own weaknesses and what is considered impossible in my own perspective. I don't mean to, but I just naturally tend to, to think, I'm like, I don't even know if the Lord can do anything. So I wanted to show you guys a picture of my three-month-old son, Beckham, um, if we have that up there. So uh, he just turned, he had three months. He is a chunky little guy and uh, he's super cute. And, and so I thought about this. Um, so I brought a dumbbell weight. Um, I got made fun of for this, for bringing this up on stage. But uh, 
So this is eight pound dumbbell, okay? We all know that my son, who is three months old, Graham, not Graham, Beckham, Graham's my oldest, but Beckham, there's three of them now, I get confused. Um, and so I was thinking about it. It's like, okay, if Beckham, right, even at this point, he can't even wrap his mind probably around the idea of like, ooh, I wanna pick that you know, wait up. Like right now he just stares at ceiling fans. That's about all he does. You know, that's his favorite thing to do. But let's say he got, you know, in his mind, like, okay, even just the idea of movement, he sees mom or dad moving it around, picking it up, you know, trying to curl it. There's no way that he can even move this thing, let alone pick it up or carry it or do anything with it. Now, there is a person, I, I assume that many of us in this room can pick this up and, you know, lift it up, but there's one person I know that can definitely can do it, and it's The Rock, okay? Dwayne Johnson, okay? His arm is like the size of my body, okay? He's massive. And, and so if you compare these two, it's almost like, the, like one of the weakest human beings on the earth, no offense to Beckham, but then one of the strongest, I mean, like, look at the dude. He's made of granite. And so if you were to approach the rock and say, hey, I know it may take a lot of work. I don't even know if you can do it, but, but could you just give it a try? Could you just try to pick up this weight? I think he'd be offended. And he'd probably just walk off. I don't know. I don't know if he's nice or not. But he'd probably just walk off and be like, are you kidding me? Like, you, you, you actually think this is hard for me? Okay, you see that guy, Brandon, he can pick it up. If he can do it, I definitely can, okay? But if we put our shoes in my son, or if we put ourselves in my son's shoes, right, you look at something so heavy, so hard, there's no way I can do it, and can it even be done? Can a 90-year-old woman even get pregnant and give birth without dying? I mean, you know, like, and so Sarah laughs. But you guys, we do the same thing. We're, we're, so, we're so thinking of our own, like what we're capable of doing and what's been done in the past, and we're not realizing what God can do, that there's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing impossible for him. And I love that. This is a statement that we see throughout Scripture. God says, is there, any too, is there anything too hard? Is there anything impossible for me? Now, while on this topic, I, I think it's helpful to point out, um, you know, to not get crazy with it. Oh, well, if God can do anything, I ask, as long as I pray in faith. Like, no, like, if you pray, hey, God, can I be a billionaire? Um, he's probably not going to do it. Could he do it? Yes. But, but we not, like, knowing this, we ought to not come and pray for selfish things and, and, and out of selfish desires, but we ought to pray biblically and according to his will. Recognizing that even when we approach him in prayer, recognizing that he can do the impossible, nothing is too hard for him, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is different. Sometimes he doesn't answer in the time or fashion in which we want or desire, but it's always good when and how he does it. We need to remember passages like Matthew 26 when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane getting ready to be betrayed and handed over to Roman officials, getting ready to go to the cross and he sees the cup of wrath from the Father that he's getting ready to have to drink and he's like, Lord, if this cup can pass, please. 
But then what does he pray after that? Father, not my will, but your will be done. We see Jesus asking for this cup to pass, asking the Father for something different to be done, but then ultimately submits himself to the Heavenly Father for his will to be done. And so we ought to pray in a holistic manner. I don't want to get crazy with like, oh, there's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing impossible for him. You know, we ought to believe that knowing there is nothing too hard for him, but also repeating the words of our Savior, Father, not my will, but yours be done. To, to pray in a way that honors him and desires his will. I wanted to turn to another passage uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. So this is the context of Jesus' teaching on not to be anxious. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus is telling his listeners not to be anxious. And in, in uh, verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things that you're worried about, your heavenly Father is going to take care of them. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about the food you're, e you're going to eat, the, the drink that you're going to drink, the, the, your body or the clothes that you're going to wear. Your heavenly Father knows everything. And he even says, he's like, look at, look at the birds. Look at the sparrows. Look at, look at the grass and the lilies of the field. As insignificant as those things are in comparison to a human being made in the image of God, our Heavenly Father takes care of them. So next time you see a bird, just, I don't know, stare at it for like 10 seconds and be like, wow. I mean, no one cares about that bird really except the Heavenly Father. Like he, he feeds it, he takes care of them. Not one drops and dies without him knowing it. And Jesus is saying, look, if he takes care of a bird like that, he will take care of you. But then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It would be like if you were in need of a car, okay, and, and you buy a car that's in rough shape, the engine doesn't work, and, but you're going to repair it and get it all fixed up, okay, but it's, you know, beat up and banged up everywhere, and so you take this car and it has a bad engine and you spend all this time and energy and money on the interior and exterior of this car, making it one of the nicest and luxurious looking cars in the city of Wichita, right? Everybody in your neighborhood is impressed. You're proud of it. You park it out on the driveway so that people, you know, can look, oh, that is a nice looking car. The problem is, You've done everything to the exterior and interior of the car, but you've not actually addressed the most important issue, which is the engine that doesn't run. We all know the sole purpose of a car being invented was to get to point A to point B faster. And so you have this really nice looking car in the driveway that everyone is impressed by, everyone covets, everyone wants, but it doesn't run. You guys, the entire point of our existence, the reason you are living and breathing right now is to glorify God and have a relationship with him. He has called us to a mission of seeking the kingdom first. And when we neglect that, 
when we neglect that mission that he's called us to, to focus on things such as our kids and our grandkids and hobbies and our job and and our homes, and, and we make any of these things a number one priority in our life, while God and his kingdom take a back seat, we're not seeking the kingdom first. But instead, we're building our own little tiny kingdom here on earth. Yeah, our, our car may be looking really sweet, but it doesn't go anywhere. And our lives, even as Christian families, we may look like a family that everybody else wants to have, but man, if we are not seeking Jesus, man, we've gone off track. I was thinking about there's so many different aspects in life, I mean, every aspect in our life that we ought to be seeking the kingdom first, but one that came to mind was the idea of parenting. I just want you to ask yourself this. Is the number one priority in your household when it comes to parenting, is it to seek God and to worship him? Are you teaching your kids and your teenagers and those in your home with both your mouth and by your actions to love the Lord your God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or is the number one priority and what you are emphasizing the most something like volleyball or baseball or vacations, the lake, dance, robotics, their education, where they're going to go to college, and the list goes on and on. None of those things are bad. But, but if we are emphasizing that within our homes more than seeking the kingdom first, it's idolatry. And on some level, all of us parents are guilty of this, right? I know I'm, I'm not perfect at this at all. So on some level, all of us parents are guilty of this. And when we recognize that, when we see ourselves drifting in one direction or the other from seeking his kingdom first, we need to repent and make sure our lives are centered on Jesus. And maybe you're not a parent. You're like, or, or maybe you, were, you still are a parent, but you know, you're an empty nester. And, but there's many different aspects in life that where we can seek God's kingdom first with our jobs, our money, what we do with our time. So many different things. Are we looking at our lives overall and saying, man, are we seeking his kingdom first? Are we, are, are we tempted? Are we, are we meshing his kingdom with our own little kingdom and, and just torn between the two? When we pray, genuinely come before God, asking him to give us wisdom on how to seek his kingdom first, our lives are going to come into alignment with his will and we will see God move in our lives and see prayers answered. And when we talk about the idea of prayers being answered, isn't that just like one of the coolest things ever? Like, like to think about the idea of you coming before God, asking him for something, and then he answers. I was thinking through just a couple different things of, of one story that I could potentially share on this topic. And uh, the one that came to mind was, so this was 10 years ago, almost exactly. Uh, this was when I was in living, living in California, I was going to Bible college out there, and I remember I had made a prayer list of things and people that I wanted to be praying for. I think, I don't know if it was like a New Year's resolution thing or whatever, but like I just, I was like, I want to be praying more for, and, and to write things down as it goes along. And, and so on this particular day, I, 
Um, I opened it, opened this journal that I hadn't cracked open in at least a few weeks. It may have been a month or two. And I was sitting there like feeling kind of guilty. I'm like, man, I haven't been praying for these people or, or these things and whatnot. And I just was confessing that to the Lord. And, and one of those people that were on my list was my grandpa. Okay, and if I remember correctly, I think he was 74 years old at the time. My grandpa was not a Christian, okay? He had been pretty hardened towards the faith and towards the church and towards God. And so on this particular day, he was one of those people that I was like, oh man, like, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but you have these thoughts. It's like, I've not been praying for my grandpa. He's never gonna get saved, you know, all these things. And so I just sensed the spirit saying in that moment, just, just pray for your grandpa, so I prayed for a couple minutes, prayed for a few other things, went on with my day. I get a phone call later that night from my grandpa, and I pick up the phone, and he says, hey, Brandon, he's like, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay, what? And he says, I accepted Christ as my Savior this afternoon. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like speechless, you know, I was like, that's, that's crazy. Is this the same grandpa that I've known? You know, like, this is crazy. I mean, I mean, you kind of talk to God about him. And, and I like, I love my grandpa, but he was kind of grumpy, you know, and not, like not always, he was nice to his grandkids and his kids, but outside of that, I mean, it was slim pickings. And, and so to hear him talk about that, you know, like that he's, you know, walking with the Lord now, I'm like, whoa. Now, he had been prayed for by many people over the last several decades, and my prayer was like one of the last prayers, you know, that, that prior to him accepting Christ. My point is, is that we never know when and how God is moving. And I love Psalm 18:6. It says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. I assume in a room this size that there are many of you out there struggling, like severely right now with something going on in your life. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe your marriage is really struggling. You don't know if you're going to last. Maybe you're thinking through a job that you got laid off recently. Whatever it may be. And I love these words from Psalm 18:6. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Our prayers, our cry reaches the ears of the Lord. That is crazy. I, like for those of us who have grew up, grew up in church and been a Christian for a long time, like I have, like we just get used to the concept of prayer. It's like, oh, let's pray for that. And then sometimes you never do pray for it. Or, or you just, you know, like, it's like, oh yeah. I, I mean, I could explain what prayer is, you know, just like that. But do, have we lost our sense of awe of what prayer is? Like, do we understand that when we pray to him, that he hears from his temple and that our cry reaches his ears? That is amazing. And on, on this topic, I wanted to, because we've been going through Revelation, just thinking about prayer in Revelation chapter eight, I wanted to revisit and just briefly summarize a couple passages that we've already read through in light of the God and the, and the smoke and the incense and the prayers that is rising before him. And just to remind ourselves of who this God is. In Revelation four, it's the throne in heaven that John sees. There are 24 elders falling down, worshiping God who is on the throne. 
And then there's four living creatures. They have six wings on them. They have eyes all around and within, and they never quit saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What a scene. Revelation 5, the very next chapter, it's about the scroll and the seven seals. Right, and in the very beginning it says, no one in heaven... On, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or break its seals. No one. That's why John's just like weeping. He's so sad. Like, oh, nobody can open the scroll. But then someone tells him, no, 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 no. Actually, there is one person who can open the scroll. It's the Lamb of God. He is able to open the scroll and break its seals. And then as a response, yeah, as a response... All of heaven breaks out in worship. You got the four living creatures declaring the greatness of God, the 24 elders, and then what a sight this is, thousands and millions of angels praising and declaring God, every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, worshiping and declaring the greatness of who the Lamb of God is. We are too long to see that one day, hello. The same God that we see in these passages in Revelation 4, in Revelation 5, in Revelation 8, the same God that Sarah laughed at, there's like no way you can make a 90-year-old woman pregnant. That is the same God you and I are praying to. He's the same God that you pray to when you are in room by yourself, Maybe when you're in the, in the car driving, whenever you come forward at the end of a service to pray with someone, it's the same God, same God that at the prayer meeting at 6 a.m. in the morning when you're half awake and you're like, I don't know if I'm sleeping or praying. In the darkest moment of your life, this is the God you are crying out to. And he's not weak, he's not tiny, he's not the things that our culture says he is. He is powerful, and our cries reach his ears. This is the same God, and he hears us from his temple. So when we ask at the very beginning, we wonder if our prayers matter. Does he hear us? Is he in the room with us when we're praying and we're depressed and full of anxiety? Does he care? The answer is yes. He cares. His prayers rise right before him. As we conclude our time today, I wanted to go back to Revelation 8. And in verse 5, it says, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So the angel, the separate angel, not a part of the seven, but someone else, he comes and takes the censer, he fills it with fire from the altar, the prayers of the saints, and throws it onto the earth. This is a response of the prayers of the God's people. In Revelation 6.10, the martyrs, they are crying out to God, how long, O oh Lord, till you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. That's in Revelation 6, and now we see in Revelation 8, God saying, now is the time. Now is the time for me to avenge my people. God says, my judgment is here. 
There's peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And when you see that in scripture, you know stuff is about to go down. Based upon this passage, we can be confident that God hears us. He's near to us. And there will be a day when God avenges his people. We have the opportunity as a church this coming weekend, starting, at fr- starting Friday at 6 p.m., going through Saturday at 6 p.m., a time for 24 hours of prayer as a church to gather and pray here. And I just encourage you to be a part of that. You can sign up online, right? There's hour slots that you can commit to. And what a cool thing for a church to just take 24 hours out of a weekend to pray both through the day and through the night to let the incense arise. There's gonna be elders and pastors and wives up here up front if you need a prayer. But as we pursue prayer, I just want to remind us that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Our prayers rise before him and he commands us to seek his kingdom first. And so let's do that as a church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, for the grace and love that you have lavished on us. God, we don't deserve you. Lord, we don't deserve to know you. We don't deserve for our prayers to rise to you. But God, you do it out of grace. And so, Lord, I I pray, God, for anyone in the room who's just really been struggling, feeling as if you are very distant and not near, I just pray that your spirit would encourage them this morning, God, as they cry out to you. Lord, I pray that we would come to you with an expectant heart, God, knowing that you can do anything as long as it's in accordance with your will. Sometimes the answer is different than what we like, but I pray, Lord, that we would come to you in faith and, Lord, praying for your will to be done. Lord, thank you so much. Father, I pray, Lord, that you just be moving within our hearts. We pray all this in your name.